Welcome to Bible Fellowship Assembly Sunday Morning Messages. Today, Eve Bluin continues our series of messages on the book of Ecclesiastes. Today, looking at chapter 2, verse 12, through chapter 3, verse 15. And now, here's Eve. Thank you for that great opening. That uh, leads into this teaching very well. I apologize in advance if I go too fast. I can be pretty nervous when speaking in public, and I go at a faster rate when that's the case. Um, the topic today is Ecclesiastes 2.12 to 3.15. So far last week, the teacher Solomon taught us that anything under the sun apart from God is meaningless, a vapor, fleeting, grasping after the wind. Life is an enigma, a puzzle. In the prior verses, we've seen that pursuing wisdom, knowledge, laughter, pleasures, or wealth apart from God is meaningless. That much of nature, the earth, and the stars were before us and will be long after we're gone and forgotten. Whether good or bad things occur, to good or evil people appears random. The teacher explores all the ways we try to find meaning apart from God. Solomon repeatedly states that life's meaning is never clear. Like smoke, life is confusing, disorienting, and uncontrollable. Definitely gloomy and depressing, but it's only if outside of God and what is meant by the expression under the sun. I have struggled with many life events in the past few years, some more tragic than others, some very unfair, some very unjust. The more we live, the more we see these apparently unexplainable events. These events can lead us to question God to make sense of it, and even in weakness, question His goodness. Sometimes He will bring someone along or a passage of Scripture to help us get some clarity. But often our questions go unanswered. Ecclesiastes is about someone going through these struggles, trying to find meaning out of life under the sun. Losing my dad, a very good man, as as biased as I can be, but nevertheless a self-proclaimed atheist or unbeliever, was a critical juncture in my life. I couldn't keep up with him on a bicycle. He... Uh, when skiing, I would tell him to go ahead and meet him at the trail's end. It was just too exhausting to try and keep up with him. My stepmom and I, whenever I would visit, would engage him in spiritual discussions with the hope that eventually a convincing argument could be made for believing in God. Gita and I had planned a visit in early June, but he died from a heart attack after cutting the grass on May 27th. It was more than I could bear at the time. Why God? Therefore, when Phil asked what should be the next books we should study, I suggested Ecclesiastes, mainly because of such struggles that I and others in our assembly experience. I didn't expect us to do this series, because it's a fairly complicated um, book of the Bible, but I'm glad for it, and I hope it will help you as much as it has helped me. This is a word frequency chart for the assigned passage. I got that idea from Phil. Uh, this is for the passage in question. So we can see that the words time, work, 
man, folly, wisdom, and God stand out from the rest and are the key words for today's passage. I discern the following division of thoughts in the passage we're covering today. The futility of wisdom and the theme of that, the significance of our work and careers, gifts from God, time and events of our lives, again, significance of our work and careers, and again, gifts from God. The key themes our death, eternity, our life's events, our gifts from God to be enjoyed, relationship with God. These scriptures emphasize the importance of a relationship with God versus under the sun. And our life events are gifts from God to be enjoyed. Verse 212 to 17 describes Solomon's frustration that both the wise and foolish die and are forgotten. It's not that wisdom has no value, but for its own sake, apart from God, it has no lasting value. The wise, foolish, rich, poor, good, or bad, all die and are remembered no more. Again, he touches on time and death. Death is the great equalizer. Even the good die young, and evil lives long and prosper. It is an enigma. It's important to understand that this is the perspective of one without a relationship with God. Wisdom, life, and death, apart from God, without eternity in mind, are meaningless. Solomon in verse 218-23 to then turns to the futility of seeking significance in work. We can judge ourselves or others by our careers and our success in these careers. We, we see that all the time. We meet somebody, it's, what do you do for a living? You know, that's... Work doesn't provide long-term satisfaction. Work brings in stress, which causes health issues. Work is an extension of who we are and doesn't define who we are or the source of lasting fulfillment and joy. Many feel contentment and achievement are one promotion away, but they never are. The teacher points out that after you've worked so hard to succeed, you will likely be too old to enjoy it that you don't know whether a wise man or a fool will benefit or waste the hard-earned fruit of your labor. They may not even appreciate all that went into providing this for them. Our careers are an opportunity to provide for our families and demonstrate that our relationship with Christ makes a difference in our lives and how we live out our careers. Also, we need to appreciate the work others do rather than envy them or try to make take advantage of their work selfishly. We have to be happy for others' success. Solomon's son, Rehoboam, foolishly plunged Israel into civil war the same year he became king. He undid 40 years of Solomon's work in one year. If you're going to be good at something, then go all out. Rehoboam excelled at being foolish. As a side note, Solomon and Rehoboam are both remembered in the Bible. This remembrance is an exception to what Solomon just indicated. The two are remembered for our spiritual benefit, not for their benefit. In verses 224-26, Solomon describes how enjoying your work and life is a gift from God. This fulfillment has to be in the context of a relationship with God. Otherwise, it's futile and grasping after the wind. This passage is the first of two describing God's gift to us. 
There are so many gifts listed in Scripture that God gives us, and we'll only touch on a few. Our passage indicates that wisdom, knowledge, and joy are all gifts from God for those who love God and follow His commandments. The song we sang in the first service, Trust and Obey. Trust that he's got, He means good for us, but we have to obey. Contentment is also a gift from God, is the outworking of our relationship with Him. As Christians, we get to enjoy the following gifts. Salvation, the knowledge that God forgave our sin, and as a result, we have access to Him. This salvation is the most precious gift. Hope, that the trials and death that we face as believers ultimately have significance because of God. Knowledge, the spiritual understanding of scriptures that the Holy Spirit imparts in us as believers. Love, God's love works through us and is reflected back to Him and others. Our life with Christ is what brings meaning, joy, and contentment. Filling our lives with external things, whether wealth, knowledge, pleasures, work, etc., can't bring inner happiness. In other words, the belief that improving the outside will improve the inside is temporary and will always require more. At the start of my career, I remember complaining to an older fellow employee that I was underpaid. I'm going to take a survey right now. Would you oblige me and give me a show of hands as to who who thinks they are, they are overpaid or have too much money? I didn't think so. <laughs> my friend Bruce Cameron pointed out to me that his experience had been that no matter how much you earn, you will never have enough. Their spending will always equal or exceed your earnings. The teacher, on the other hand, points out that true joy can only come from the inside out. A relationship with Jesus experienced inwardly radiate outwardly and allows us to enjoy the external, such as the sun on your face, the smirks of a newborn, especially if it's your grandson, a walk in the forest, the satisfaction of building something with your own two hands, even if it's somewhat messed up. I'm not looking at Jim, sorry. (laughs) Uh, The unbeliever, untimely, and I was referring to working with Jim. Sorry, I should correct that. Me messing up, not him. Sorry, that. The unbeliever ultimately is destined for hell, and nothing he has accumulated will be able to buy his way out. He has chosen hell by rejecting Christ's offer of salvation. On the other hand, a believer is saved, and no one can snatch him out of God's hand. Jesus assures us of that in John 10.27-29. The gift of God is contentment. Being able to enjoy a sunset, a good meal, friends, family, and your work, whether as the leader of a nation or as the school janitor. I have a good friend who is a janitor, and he recounted many tales of how he positively affected the students, his co-workers, and even his bosses, and took satisfaction in these, seeing God's hand in these events. The more we trust in God, the more we're free to enjoy our life as it unfolds rather than trying to control it. The theme, the theme of accepting that all life is out of your control and trusting God will keep coming back. Our expectations can enslave us rather than help us enjoy what God is doing in our lives. Ambition isn't evil, but has to be tempered by God's wisdom and direction. Following God's direction and understanding the events in our lives is somewhat like 
following the instruction for putting a gazebo we recently purchased. Trying to live without God's scripture as your guide is like trying to put up a gazebo that consists of hundreds of pieces without following the instruction manual. You're doomed to failure. Some instructions didn't make sense until later on. An example is you were not to attach some of the timber ends until later, which meant supporting it in the meantime as it was only held in place at one end by one screw, which was both inconvenient and we th- both Steve and I thought risky. Our lives can be like that, where we question why someone close to us is going through such hard times. Why is God not securing the other end? Wouldn't it be more convenient and less risky if God intervened? My friend and I, that's Steve, and connected both ends of the timber on the first roof panel as that made sense. Then as we struggled with some of the remaining assembly, we discovered why we weren't supposed to do that. Similarly, when God doesn't secure the other end, it is because it's not the right time. Other things have to take place in order to end up with a more solid faith or foundation for something else greater. Like the support for the timber, until the other end is secured, we're called to be supportive of our fellow Christians during these transitions. Now the passages move on to the theme of time and life events. The theme of time was discussed in earlier passages. Nothing ever really changes. Yes, technology has brought some changes, but does it make any significant eternal changes other than me getting phone calls? The stars, mountains, and many other things were there long before we were born, and will be there long after we die. Verses 1 to 11, 111 states, Time will eventually erase you, me, and all that we care about. The verses 3, 1 to 8 relate related to life's events have many application, and I only offer a few. My apologies to those who aren't science fiction fans for the following thoughts, and I wish Dave was here. I love stories that revolve around time. I'm a big fan of time travel and multiverses, where parallel universes exist, where the same people exist, but their lives are different. They have different outcomes. Both are alluring when we think about how we would like to have made different choices and the possibility of changing our past, but both are non-scriptural and illogical. If people made different choices in the parallel universe, then that would mean the same people wouldn't exist in both universes. Most of you knew that already, but given that they wouldn't have different spouses, etc. It's good entertainment, but that is all it is. What is important to note is that we don't control time. God controls time. I would like to offer that all of the following events are gifts from God when we have a relationship with Him. A time to be born and a time to die. There are 14 pairs of opposite events, two sets of seven. The number seven for the Hebrews meant complete total. Genesis indicates that God created everything in seven days and that His creation was complete on the seventh day when He rested. Seven represents completeness. This passage starts with a time to be born and a time to die. These opposite events mean our entire life, everything in between. The use of opposite is a literary device to express everything in between. Rather than be an exhaustive list of life events, this passage is a sample of significant events in our lives and is intended to cover all of our life's events. 
a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. This verse refers to the farming circle, which Israel, it was, that was their main uh, livelihood, but also the seasons of our lives. A time to kill and a time to heal. The killing part is a harsh and unpleasant verse, but there's a time to defend our families and nation, and there's a time for reconciliation. Reconciliation requires we put the past behind us so we can move forward. As indicated earlier, there are many applications to the same verse. The killing here can also refer to death due to illness, which would make a contrast with the healing aspect. A time to break down and a time to build up. Sometimes it's time for a fresh start to stop trying to fix something that is best taken down and rebuilt in the long run. A time to weak and a time to laugh. This brings to mind Romans 8.28. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Though we love to laugh, there's a time for sorrow. He ordained sorrow so that we could learn from it, be built up, be prepared for future ministry opportunities, and many other purposes. Sorrow is a very complex gift from God. Yes, it is a gift, even though it may not seem like it at the time. A time to mourn and a time to dance. Similar to the previous verse, we prefer to dance and rejoice than mourn. My wife, Gita, has expressed all three emotions, sorrow, laughter, and grief, when she sees me dance. I'm sure that's not what Solomon had in mind, but rather God ordained grief to help us heal from the loss of a loved one. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones. Supposedly, tour guides in Israel say that God gave stones to an angel and told him to distribute them across the world. And he tripped right over Palestine, resulting in a land full of rocks. Israel was an agricultural society, and clearing stone from the fields was necessary. But these stones could be reused to build fences and homes. Stones are neither good nor bad. But how you use them determines their contribution. This passage may also refer to the requirements for discernment in life, knowing what relationships, jobs, and opportunities to cast aside and which ones to build on. We can attest to seeing such a thing as bad friends and the resulting negative influences they may have. As for jobs and opportunities, not every worldly opportunity may be a godly opportunity. I know of a friend who had an excellent opportunity for a corporate position and a great promotion. Still, it would have been at the expense of serving God in this local church and other negative impacts that the world doesn't value. He chose to forsake that promotion, and God blessed him and us over the years for that decision. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. The verse points to the fact that some of our relationships can be warm, but sometimes correction is required and conflict may be unavoidable. What you do with this conflict is what counts. A time to gain and a time to lose. Sometimes we must give up things to do what God wants from us. It might be giving up on financial obligation owed to us to help someone or even losing our life to save someone. A time to keep and a time to throw away. I can hear those garage sales enthusiasts saying, this is my verse. Outside of this, similar to the previous verse, we're called to examine what God wants us to do, not only with our material wealth, 
but with our attitudes, and I dare say our convictions that may no longer be true and stand in, in the way of our spiritual growth. On the other hand, we need to stand by our core beliefs. Knowing to discern between the two is wisdom from God to an open and receptive heart. A time to tear, tear, sorry, a time to tear and a time to sow. The tearing of clothes for the Hebrews was a sign of mourning. And the sowing of the torn clothes indicated that the mourning was over. We need both in our lives. Whether we don't grieve or don't stop grieving, both are unhealthy. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. The Bible has many verses on this topic of knowing when it's appropriate to speak and be silent. I sympathize with the Apostle Peter and how he often spoke before thinking while Jesus was on earth. For myself, I suspect will remain a work in progress until God takes me. Proverbs 17, 27, 28 says, The truly wise person restrains his words, and the one who stays calm is discerning. Even a fool who remains silent is considered wise, and the one who holds his tongue is deemed discerning. And at the other spectrum, the end of the spectrum, when it comes to spreading the gospel or giving a testimony of God, we're asked not to be afraid and to speak. Acts 18.9 Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent. A time to love and a time to hate. In this verse, we are called to love our neighbors and God, and to hate injustice and sins. A time of war and a time of peace. War has been with us for as long as historians, including the authors of the Bible, have been around. However, there is a time to let bygones be bygones and strive for peace. There's an ultimate war on evil that <clears throat> that Jesus will bring to an end in the ultimate battle of battles. And he will bring everlasting peace to a new heaven and earth. Those of us that have trusted Christ for our salvation will get to enjoy this ultimate eternal peace. If you're not a follower of Jesus today, God invites you to trust Christ for your salvation and share with us in this relationship that brings blessings and everlasting joy. On a personal note, the workaholic that I am may be subconsciously addicted to being busy. I would like to add, there is a time to work and a time to fellowship with friends. This passage isn't meant to be exhaustive, but to encompass all of our life's events. So I would invite you to think of a personal application to your situation. In verse 3, 9 to 10, after contemplating the events of our life, he briefly, briefly brings up work. Before and after considering all of life's events and the various pursuit for significance and happiness, including work, he points out that a relationship with God is a source of joy and contentment. Our life's event needs to be understood, seen in the light of a relationship with God. These events are a gift from God. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also, he has put eternity in their hearts, except that no one can find out the work that God has done from the beginning to the end. God has given us the ability to contemplate and think about eternity something that the rest of his creation, plants, minerals, and animals can't. Throughout Ecclesiastes, Solomon will bring our attention to the futility of our efforts outside of eternity, under the sun. 
For our life to make sense, it must be lived with the context of eternity in mind and a relationship with God. Without eternity in mind, the sum total of all events of our lives can appear random and meaningless. From an eternal perspective, the events and experiences in our life have God-given purposes. The eternity quest in our hearts can only be filled by Jesus, the one who was yesterday, today, and tomorrow, the author of time. Colossians 1.15.17 Dave Hook brought to my attention that the word eternity could also be translated as ignorance. I think it was trying to make my life difficult. No matter how smart we think we are individually or as a species, we'll never completely understand God or his creation. He is unfathomable, unfathomable, resulting in awe and glory to God. Sometimes you see verses like that where in the Hebrew it'll say unclear, like the word in this case. And those are really tough ones to, to deal with. I know that nothing is better for them than to rejoice and to do good in their lives. And also that every man should eat and drink and enjoy the good of all his labor. It is the gift of God. In our passage today, this is one of the key verses. Everything in life, including our work, is a gift from God to be enjoyed. I know that whatever God does, it shall be forever. Nothing can be added to it, and nothing taken from it. God does it that men should fear before him. That which is has already been, and what is to be has already been. And God requires an account of what is past. This verse tells us that God is beyond time. He knows the future as well as the past. This last verse circles back to a previous theme that history keeps repeating itself. God does this not to aggravate us, but that with a proper relationship with him, we should be in awe, admiration, and reverence of him. Our appropriate response is to have our minds blown away by how God works in his inscrutable plan. Time and death outside of a relationship with God make most of life without meaning. However, trusting that God oversees everything brings hope and joy. Life can appear random and meaningless without a relationship with God. But whatever God does, He has eternity in mind. If we willingly follow His direction and let Him have His way, trusting that He is in control and is the author of the beginning and the end, our life becomes purposeful and enjoyable. We are not insignificant to God. He created us and sent His Son to die for us so that His life, this life, in eternity would have purpose and meaning. That's the results of God's love for those of us that chose to accept His Son, Jesus, as their Savior. I would like to offer a couple of quotes that helped me while preparing for this message. The Puritan pastor, Thomas Watson, said, Eternity to the godly is a day that has no sunset. Eternity to the wicked is a night that has no sunrise. My prayer is that all of us here today would wonder be gathered together to share in this day that has no sunset. The BibleProject.com site has these words of advice from Ecclesiastes. Since you can't control your life, you should stop trying. You only have control over one thing, your attitude towards the current moment. Enjoy both the good things and the bad because both are rich gifts from God. Life has meaning even when you can't make sense of it.
Take comfort in knowing that God has your best interests at heart. In summary, the passages of Ecclesiastes that we examine today can be summarized with these three thoughts. The pursuit for significance and joy can only be found in a relationship with God and with an internal perspective. From an internal perspective, the events and experiences in our lives have God-given purposes. They are gifts from God. If we let Him have His way, trusting that He is in control and is the author of the beginning and the end, our life becomes purposeful and enjoyable. I hope and pray that this has been of help, and no matter your circumstances, that you would trust that God thinks your life is significant and precious to Him, and and you would put your life in His hands. Amen. Let's pray. We do thank you for the wisdom that comes from God and only from God. We thank you for the insights and the deep knowledge and revelation of the mind of God that's revealed to us through the Spirit. We praise you, Lord, for what you're doing within us and recognize that the things that we have, the things we enjoy, is a gift of God, that even this day is a gift from you. So we may we treasure it. May we reflect upon it as a gift from you and realize, Lord, that you are a good, good God. Mm-hmm. We thank you for once again for the message of the day, for the worship, for the Sunday school, for the time we have together. Let us rejoice in it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. Come back next week for the next Sunday morning message from Bible Fellowship Assembly. Visit us on the web at bfa.church where you will find our physical address and contact information. We'd love to see you if you are in the Timmins area or drop us a line at info at bfa.church. Until next time.